In today's complex security environment, relationships with like-minded partners across the globe are increasingly important to address cross-cutting security issues and global challenges, as well as to defend the rules-based international order. In this second series of podcasts about NATO, we will discuss with Dr. Jens Bastian, Senior Policy Advisor at Adelia-MEP, the relations and the challenges of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization of NATO. Dr. Bastian, thank you very much for this discussion. Odin, thank you very much for having me. Well, NATO is at a crossroads, if I may say so. A lot of challenges in front of NATO, uh, in Asia, in, the, in Europe, uh, Ukraine, Russia, um, China, uh, a lot of things to discuss. And I want to begin this discussion with uh, the security problems with China. Is NATO addressing the challenge coming from the rise of China, Dr. Bastian? It is starting to address this Chinese challenge. It has formulated in the course of the past one and a half years, various new strategic reviews or policy papers has addressed the issue also at NATO summits, which then gradually reflect how China is moving up on the agenda of NATO regarding its urgency, regarding how NATO reacts, and where NATO defines its theater of operation today and in the future. And this theater is not only meant in terms of geography, but also in terms of the policy areas, the security threats that China, but not only China, reflects, represents, and which Jens Stoltenberg, the Secretary General of NATO, has voiced publicly in the course of the past months repeatedly. So yes, NATO has a challenge with regard to China. It is starting to address that. And I think our conversation will also reflect some of the policy areas where China and NATO do not see eye to eye and where possibly there is room for cooperation in the future. Well, I want to begin this discussion about China by asking you that I'm not sure. I think that for the first time, NATO is developing closer relations with four Asia-Pacific partners, namely Australia, Japan, Korea, and New Zealand, the Republic of Korea and New Zealand. Does that have anything to do with its goals in the Asia-Pacific and regarding China? What is interesting to observe in the NATO-China nexus is how both sides are trying to form new alliances, be it NATO as an organization in general or individual member states inside NATO doing that. Let me first go with regard to how China is forming alliances. We can observe that over the course of the past decade, China has invested in dozens of official partnerships with states around the world. At the top of that pyramid, I would argue, are Russia and Pakistan, whose extra special ties with Beijing are long and exclusive. 
For example, China has developed a China-Russia comprehensive strategic partnership. China also is investing in what it calls the China-Pakistan all-weather strategic cooperative partnership. This comes on the back of various South Asian states like Myanmar, Cambodia, Vietnam, Thailand, and Laos, as well as states much further afield like in Egypt, Brazil, and New Zealand, reconsidering their own alliance geography vis-a-vis -vis the United States, Australia, but also NATO. And then finally, Beijing has invested great energy in building what I would call Chinese-led multilateral mechanisms or initiatives, such as, for example, the China Cooperation Organization or the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation and the China Arab States Cooperation Forum. So there you can see there is a whole emerging geography that is in flux of Chinese alliances. And to that, NATO and individual member states have to reply. This reply is often reactive. It is, in my view, often defensive, and it often comes late in the day. The most obvious one is the Australia, United Kingdom and United States, the so-called AUKUS submarine alliance that has been embraced by Washington, by London and by Australia. But what you can see here is in the AUKUS deal, a continuation of what I would call a pivot towards Asia of the United States, of different administrations prior and current in the United States, where strategic priorities of the key NATO member are shifting away, not only from Europe, but also from the Middle East and North Africa towards Asia. One of uh, the biggest uh, challenges in, in Asia is also Taiwan. It's a big challenge for the West, for NATO, of course, for the United States, and certainly for China. How do you think, Dr. Bastian, that uh, NATO is addressing the Taiwan issue? The Taiwan issue or challenge for that matter, and NATO is very strongly linked also to the fact that various NATO member states in Europe are also EU member states. And they have in the course of the past year reconsidered, redefined, and in some cases even reconfigured their relations, diplomatic relations with Taiwan. And most recently, in the case of Lithuania, it has upgraded its diplomatic relations with Taiwan, much to criticism coming from the authorities in Beijing. It is undeniable that from a security perspective, any EU and or NATO member state has to look at what do the escalating tensions in the Taiwan Strait mean? 
for not only relations bilaterally with Taiwan, but more generally with China. I think that a Chinese invasion of Taiwan is not imminent. But for the first time in three decades, we are again publicly inside NATO, among EU member states, in the United States, talking about it. So we have to take seriously the possibility that China could use force. And the President of the United States, the lead member state of NATO, President Biden, has recently made it clear he would come to the defense of Taiwan. But I think also that options for NATO to deter the Chinese attack or invasion of Taiwan are rather limited. The only way the United States slash NATO can ensure Taiwan's security is to make invasion impossible for Beijing or to try and convince Chinese leaders that if they use military force, that will cause them international criticism of an unprecedented level to be considered, in my view, parias on the diplomatic field. I think that the political shifts that we are observing in China, in Taiwan, in the United States, they have raised concerns inside NATO. And to what degree we have to take seriously President Biden's explicit statement that the United States would respond to any Chinese use of force against Taiwan still remains to be seen how far other NATO member states, in particular in Europe, would go in that respect. Bear in mind that European NATO member states are themselves discussing strategic autonomy, including strategic autonomy in security and defense aspects. Therefore, the Taiwan challenge represents numerous challenges for NATO, for the EU, but also for the internal cohesion of member states cooperating with each other inside NATO. And I think here, we do not have enough of strategic clarity what that could mean in the course of the next year, 2022. Well, NATO has another challenge, or more correctly, I should put it, a challenge that comes from the past and is considered uh, all these years for decades uh, the biggest challenge for NATO. And I'm talking about Russia. We saw very recently what happened in the Belarus-Poland uh, border. Um, we saw how uh, Poland was very, very worried and felt more safe because of, of NATO. And um, we saw that uh, many people said that what was happening in the border was because Russia was considering a move again towards Ukraine. Uh, how do you think that NATO will face that consistent, I would say, challenge with Russia? Odin, if I would have a clear-cut answer for that, I probably would have the ears of NATO representatives in Brussels. I think they are themselves searching for answers to this question. First of all, what this challenge tells us is that 
security and defense issues are back on the top of Europeans' agenda. And I think that in particular, what is happening on the border with Ukraine and Russia is such a challenge that the NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, he this just past week cautioned Moscow against any further provocation or aggressive action. This comes on the heels of warnings by US officials that Russia could be preparing to launch a winter offensive in Ukraine. At least certain satellite imagery of troop buildup along the border may suggest that these warnings merit consideration. And the large Russian military buildup is taking place not only on the border of Ukraine, but also with Bielorussia. This is where it becomes challenging, even dangerous, I would argue, because the Russian military movements come as tensions increase, not only on security and defense aspects that challenge NATO members, but also over the migration crisis on Bielorussia's border with the European Union and Poland. And Bielorussia has warned that any conflict that may materialize on the border could draw in Russia as the two countries, Bielorussia and Russia, are allies and jointly defend the country's borders with NATO. Hence, returning to trying to answer your question, I think that NATO representatives have an urgency to formulate a strategic response, short term, definitely, but more generally, how also to address cross-cutting issues where you can see that there are strategic issues with regard to Ukraine and Bielorussia and the cooperation or the pushback against Russian military buildup. But on the other hand, also, where long simmering issue like migration and refugees all of a sudden intersects into such a challenge, not only for NATO, but also for EU member states. So what do you believe that uh, we can expect, we can expect in, in the near future? On the one hand, I think that starting with the EU and Briefly, I mentioned that inside EU member states, there are what I would call military dreams about also strategic autonomy being created in security and defense. I think this is at present and shouldn't be the priority of EU policymaking. I think this should rather continue to be the focus of NATO cooperation with EU member states. I think that the buildup of such military capability that is currently being discussed in Brussels is not going to change anything in the near or medium term future. Because first of all, the EU has an enormous amount of internal problems trying to agree how such strategic autonomy in security and defense would look like. 
how it should be used and who decides about the use of such strategic autonomy. In my view, these conditions are not met for the EU. And if you do not have a consensus in favor of qualified majority voting in foreign policy, and that would include security and defense, you do not have a consensus to deploy armed forces under the heading of the EU. Hence, I do not see on the horizon an EU rapid reaction force that could or should have been dispatched to the Polish-Bielorussian border in the past weeks, nor I think will it come in the coming weeks. I also, for that matter, do not think that Frontex can solve that problem. I think that NATO and the EU, in conclusion, are still at an early stage of defining what actually constitutes their strategic interests in respect of the two big powers on the Eurasian continent, namely China and Russia. They are legitimate commercial interests that EU member states and NATO member states have to consider and how they can be complemented by security interests. But I do ask myself, and I do not have a satisfying answer to this inquiring myself, do we really want to engage, for example, in the China-Taiwan issue? Or should we accept in Europe, and should we accept among European NATO members, that there are problems in the world that the EU and NATO cannot and perhaps should not get involved in. My hunch is the latter. Try to keep a distance from getting involved. That does not absolve you from formulating strategic priorities, from coordinating with the United States. But I do not think that this should fall under the policy heading of establishing strategic autonomy in Europe. When I, I listen to you, I dare ask you this question. That is a lesson that we learned uh, from Afghanistan, that we should not get involved, that Europe, uh, the West, NATO, United States should not get involved in some crisis. I think, first of all, it defines if you want to get involved, have a clear understanding of geography, how far this country that you may want to get involved in, how far away it is, what kind of distance, not only in, in terms of geography, kilometers you are getting involved in, but also in terms of culture, in terms of history, and in terms of understanding with whom you are dealing with, who are your adversaries and who are your partners, what kind of coalitions, alliances and compromises are possible. Odin, I agree with you that these are questions, lessons learned that follow from the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan, not only of the United States, but of also European member states of NATO. But it is also a lesson learned with regard to how European allies of NATO still are angry, frustrated 
over the perceived lack of consultation and coordinated preparation for this withdrawal that the United States failed, in my view, to deliver with its NATO partners in Europe. Dr. Bastian, thank you very much for having this discussion. Udin, I thank you. And I think this is a conversation that is worth continuing in the future. The challenges will not get less. Thank you so much.